Behind the Bite podcast is part of a network of podcasts that are good for the world. Check out podcasts like the Full of Shit podcast, After the First Marriage podcast, and Eating Recovery Academy over at practiceofthepractice.com backslash network. Welcome to Behind the Bite podcast. This podcast is about the real life struggles women face with food, body image, and weight. We're here to help heal, inspire, and create better, healthier lives. Welcome. Well, hello, everyone. You know, I know last week was Thanksgiving, and I do honestly hope that you had a wonderful holiday. However, as Dr. Jen and I discussed in the podcast we recorded last week, I am well aware that for many of you, this day may have been many things other than wonderful. And if you haven't listened to that episode, I really suggest going back and doing that because it's not just about Thanksgiving, but about this time of the year and how to navigate some of the stressors and difficulties that may come up, particularly if you're struggling with an eating disorder or body image issues. In general, when I think about how to have the most relevant and helpful topics for the podcast, I do turn to all of you, my listeners. I have said this before, but I really mean it. Your comments, questions, messages, they all had a huge impact on the show. And I've noticed that there were several questions lately asking me about the difference between mindful eating and intuitive eating. And similarly, I've had many people coming into my practice telling me that their goal was to learn how to eat mindfully so that they could finally stop binging and get to their goal weight. And you know, I've had one of the authors of Intuitive Eating on the show, Evelyn Tribbley, and that episode is 43, in case any of you want to go back and listen to that one. But I realized that it's been quite some time since that episode, and from what I'm reading, there really is a need to clarify the difference between intuitive eating and mindful eating. And I'm going to continue to do whatever I can to get the message across that neither mindful or intuitive eating is a diet. And that therapy never, ever has the goal of achieving a certain weight or losing weight. Therapy really is about addressing your relationship with food. And if you have a diagnosis of an eating disorder, treating your eating disorder. But we're going to get into all of this and much, much more um, today. And I'm being serious when I say this. You're not going to want to be distracted any way while listening to today's show. And I'll tell you why, because we have a phenomenal guest on here with us today who's going to get into all of this and more. And I am so excited that she's here. Uh, Dr. Alexis Connison is a licensed psychologist in private practice in New York City. And she's also a certified eating disorder specialist and certified eating disorder specialist supervisor. Dr. Connison is trained in mindfulness-based eating awareness therapy, which is an empirically validated treatment for binge eating and other overeating disorders, and has participated in other mindfulness workshops and training. And she's currently undertaking training to specialize in sex therapy. But she's also a prolific writer. She's authored the best-selling book, The Diet-Free Revolution, 10 Steps to Free Yourself from the Diet Cycle and Mindful Eating and Radical Self-Acceptance. And in addition to her book, her essays on diet culture have been published in Elle Magazine, Scary Mommy, and Darling Magazine. 
And as if that's not enough to top all of that, she writes the Eating Mindfully blog for Psychology Today. Well, Dr. Connison, welcome to the show. I'm really excited that you're here. Thank you so much for having me here. So you obviously are an expert. You know so much about um, eating disorders and the field. Uh, and, you know, I mentioned in the intro that you know certified eating disorder specialist. Um, so, you know, we were talking a little bit before uh, we got on, and I think one of the things we both can kind of agree on is that people really get intuitive eating and mindful eating confused. Um, they're very similar, but different. So I'm just wondering if, how do you describe it to people? Or I probably not like a one sentence thing, but I'm like, do you hear that people get confused about that a lot? Yeah, I think people get confused a lot about the differences between mindful eating and intuitive eating. And they either, um, you know, kind of think that they're the same thing, or there's a lot of um, misunderstandings also around what mindful eating is. So I think that's a really common question, and I'm glad we're starting there. Um, the way that I see it, you know, intuitive eating really refers to the specific framework um, outlined in the book, Intuitive Eating uh, by Evelyn Tripoli and Elise Retch. So um, you know, it's those 10 principles, it's the structure that they talk about in their book. Um, and that's what I think of when I think about intuitive eating. So it's like a specific kind of, uh, structure. It's has a description. You can go and see exactly, you know, what intuitive eating is and what it's about by reading the book. There's specific authors, um, like people who kind of created it and are associated with that you know, uh, structure, that philosophy, that eating philosophy. Um, whereas mindful eating, I think can be a little bit more vague and ambiguous. Um, and that's one of the reasons that I think that there's so much misunderstandings about mindful eating. Um, and it's gotten very much co-opted and misconstrued by the diet industry, but mindful eating at its core is really a weight inclusive practice. It's the idea of applying mindfulness meditation. Um, so the idea of being fully aware and present in the current moment with a sense of non-judgmental observation and acceptance, um, and then applying that to our eating and our relationship with food. So um, it might involve things like you know, being fully aware and present when we're eating, using all of our senses to observe the eating experience. Um, it also involves things like being really present with our body and using our senses to um, observe what our body is telling us. So listening to things like hunger, fullness, satiety, um, urges to eat, cravings for different kinds of food, how different types of food impact our body, like that's all part of mindfulness and mindful eating. And then also increasing awareness of our thoughts and feelings around food and our body. So being more present with the thoughts that might come up, the feelings that might come up, the judgments, and trying to really foster a sense of acceptance and self-compassion, which is really foundational in mindfulness practices. So I think that mindful eating often gets reduced to like, turn off the TV and eat without distraction so that you can eat less or, you know, it's okay to eat three bites of a cookie as long as you do it mindfully. And I think that diet culture has really done a disservice to mindful eating because that's so not what it's about. It's about, you know, it's so much more holistic than that. And it's not at all, like, it's totally inconsistent with 
dieting because it's about tuning into the wisdom of your own body and really honoring that knowledge that, um, you know, inherent knowledge that our body is sending us. And I'm glad you brought that up about diet culture <laughs> taking over both really. Um, and so, you know, I hear that too, people saying like, oh, if I mindfully eat, then they, they kind of morph it into like a way of dieting. And, and I don't know if you hear that as well, um, often. Yeah, very much so. I mean, I think that also there's a lot of diet programs that claim to be doing mindful eating. And now if you look at what they're doing, I don't think it's really mindful eating. I think they're taking like a tiny little component of mindful eating, like turning off the television or eating without distractions, which by the way, you can mindfully eat even if you're distracted as well, but that's another topic. But I think it gets, you know, watered down to like the simplest, you know, little crumb of mindfulness. And then all of a sudden programs like uh, Weight Watchers or Noom are saying, oh, we do mindful eating. Um, so I think it's gotten, you know, associated with those kinds of diet programs. So people do feel mindful eating is, you know, another tool in the diet arsenal. Um, and I think that even if you haven't learned about mindful eating through a diet program like Weight Watchers or Noom or, you know, any of these numerous programs that claim to be doing mindful eating, we can still kind of internalize that and think that mindful eating is about eating as little as possible, that it's about, you know, mindfully eating only, you know, quote unquote, healthy foods or foods that we think are, you know, per, uh, permitted, or like I hear also a lot people might, you know, saying that, I can mindfully eat, you know, kind of this like all foods fit, but if I'm going to have something that I'm judging as bad in some way or unhealthy in some way, I'm using air quotes, but you know, um, those terms are obviously very subjective and made up in a lot of ways um, that, you know, I have to do it mindfully so I can eat as little as possible. Um, you know, so this idea of, again, like I can mindfully eat half a cookie or I can mindfully eat you know, five M&Ms, um, and then that should satisfy me, which is, you know, still very much stuck in diet culture. Right. And, you know, not, and I hope this is not triggering to anyone listening, but, you know, I do often hear, well, come on, doctor, I eat mindfully. Then of course, you know, my eating disorder will go away and I'll lose weight. And that's really my goal. And, um, you know, as clinician, I'm going, ah, this is not the goal of therapy is for me to teach you mindful eating or discuss it in here. And, you know, if that's your goal for therapy, that's really a problem. And I don't know if you find that with people you're working with, they're kind of coming in thinking like, well, I just need to learn mindful eating and get over my eating disorder so that this can be the outcome. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that people really hold on to the idea of weight loss for a lot of reasons. It's very challenging to live in our culture, which is immersed in fat phobia in a larger body. So it's understandable. It makes sense why people, you know, want to hold on to that idea of weight loss. And it can be really, um, you know, contrary to a lot of the work that we're doing in therapy. Not that it's bad, you know, not that people, I think that again, that desire to lose weight is very normal and people like often come in and there's no problem with coming into therapy feeling like you're in a place that you want to lose weight. But I do think that ultimately therapy is kind of about helping you, you know, shift, shift to 
tolerating and coping with those thoughts rather than, you know, acting on them as a reality. So yeah, it can be tricky. But I do think that mindfulness and mindful eating can be an important part of therapy, especially if you're seeing a therapist who's trained in those interventions. So, you know, for anyone listening saying like, well, you know, I hear, you know, intuitive eating out in the world, you know, it's, it's connected to dieting. It really is. It's like the intuitive eating diet or like if you eat intuitively, this is the way to eat. It's couched very much so. So what's the difference between intuitive eating for what's out there in the diet culture world versus like how it's really intended to be? Yeah, well, I think with both intuitive eating and mindful eating, um, you know, they are intended as weight inclusive practices. So when they get kind of taken in by the diet, diet industry and used, you know, through that lens, it really loses the intention of what these practices are about. And, and we know that, um, restrict, restrictive eating, both in terms of like actually, actual nutrient restriction, but also restrictive ways of thinking about food. So I have, a, I just like to clarify this because there's a lot of clients who, or a lot of people I talk to who say, oh, I'm not dieting or I'm not restricting because I'm eating, you know, I'm just eating everything. I'm out of control with what I'm eating. I'm eating too much. That's the problem. And um, often it's that mentality around, I shouldn't eat that, even if you are, that can be really um, problematic in terms of disordered eating. So we know that any kind of restriction, restrictive thinking or restriction is going to increase the risk of disordered eating. It's going to exacerbate disordered eating and eating disorders. And it's also um, going to, in most cases, make people feel like they are, you know, out of control around food. So when intuitive eating or mindful eating are used within the dieting paradigm, they don't really have a chance to work as they're intended to work because, you know, it's kind of like they're becoming the problem that they were intended to solve. Right. You know, you talked about the 10 principles with intuitive eating and, you know, some of the things I read out there in the world, it makes it sound like it's like a guideline for how to follow yet another diet or way of eating to reach this goal versus, you know, I mean, could you define it for people like what, why the 10 principles and how are they not strict rules that somebody yeah. has to follow? Yeah, well, and I will just say in full disclosure that I am trained in mindful eating and work a lot with weight inclusive mindful eating. So I'm a little bit, you know, less, I have less expertise in intuitive eating, um, although I am familiar with their program. But, you know, I think that all of these, you know, whether it's mindful eating or intuitive eating, I think that it's all about reconnecting with your body and allowing your body to guide you in your eating. And they're, you know, similar but different frameworks about how to reconnect with our body, because we know that through, you know, many of us, you know, decades or years spent in diet culture, we're taught like from very young ages to mistrust our body and not to listen to our body. So sometimes we do need a framework or a structure to teach us how to listen to our body again. But ultimately, in both of those programs, the idea is to prioritize the information that's coming from your body. Um, and they're designed, I think, to be, you know, flexible in some way. Like I think that in mindful eating, at least, like there really aren't any rules. It's not about you can never eat in front of the TV or you can never eat when you're rushing. And that's why I say like, 
you know, what gets watered down and kind of sold as mindful eating and diet programs is so far from what it actually is because it becomes rules. It becomes mindful eating is taking 15 bites of a grape or mindful eating is about sitting in silence when you eat. And, you know, really mindful eating is just about, you know, finding a way to be present with your eating experiences, with your body, with yourself. And that could be showing up and being present when, you know, you're sitting with your kids having a meal and it's all chaos around you or sitting and being present, even if you're like also watching a movie or a TV show while you're eating, like all of those things are very possible. And I think that again, um, when people approach these frameworks from a diet mentality, you know, then it becomes a diet, it becomes rigid, the the principles become rules, um, there becomes a right and wrong that, you know, again, leads into the mentality that, you know, if we're not doing it perfectly, or if we're not following all the rules, then screw it, it's not working, I might as well, you know, go eat whatever I want. So when you hear people say, I'm, you know, intuitive eating isn't working, for me, or I still feel out of control, there's usually some kind of diet mentality that's still going going on. I don't want to speak in universals. I mean, I'm sure there's different reasons that it wouldn't work. But I think a lot of the time it is that people are trying to, you know, they feel like they're doing it wrong because it's become rule-based and rigid. Because with mindful eating, I really always tell people, like, they don't want to hear it, but there is no wrong way to do mindful eating. I'm glad you said that because I think people do have that idea of like, oh gosh, I could never mindfully eat every meal. There's no way that's impossible or this is so hard. And, you know, how do you do that? And, you know, I, if you get back to that point, it's like people saying, well, how do you mindfully eat while watching TV? Because I know a lot of people can imagine not eating in front of the TV. That's what I do every night. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love eating in front of the TV. I eat in front of the TV most nights too. And I can, and I, you know, I, I don't think that's contrary to mindfulness. And, you know, I think that these, these, these structures have to be things that integrate well into our lives. So I think that when we say, well, mindful eating can only be done sitting at a dining table in complete silence with like my meal on a beautiful plate, then it becomes unattainable and nobody's ever going to do it because we're like waiting for that perfect moment that we can, you know, try out mindful eating and it all, you know, it just becomes, you know, aspirational and not realistic. So I think that mindful eating, you know, really does need to integrate into our lives the way that it is. And it's just about being present. So, you know, if you're, um, you know, watching a movie or watching TV or something while you're eating, it can just be about You know, sometimes it's just about intentionally checking in with yourself when you first sit down and taking like a moment to recognize what you're eating, how hungry you are, Um, maybe just noticing the first, you know, bite of food. It might also just be trying to tune in to your hunger signal, uh, your hunger and fullness signals as you're watching. And it can also be the decision that you're not going to eat mindfully at this moment. You know, I think that it's important to also have the permission to say, you know what, I, you know, made this bowl of pasta. I'm probably just going to eat the whole thing. I just want to tune out. I want to feel, you know, um, distracted or numb for whatever, you know, like there's those things have a place as well. And I think we can mindfully make those choices to, you know, eat in a way that's, more distracted or whatever. Uh, I'm just imagining 
some people listening going, oh gosh, you know, you're you're, t- you're saying exactly what they're afraid of is if I have these certain foods, I don't trust myself around them. Once I start eating them, like all bets are off. Like I know people have these list of foods that are like, oh, I can't have them in my house. I don't trust myself around them. They can't imagine ever mindfully eating them or eating them in a way that's not like in a in a binge or out of control. So they just say, nope, I just made a rule. I'm never going to have them in my house. I'm never going to be around them. They're never going to be something I allow myself. Um, what do you what would you say to somebody listening who's like, yes, that's true. I can't ever have like ice cream or cookies or whatever in the house. So I would start off by saying that it makes a lot of sense that you believe that. And I think that that's often the message that we're told is that if we eat too much of something or that food is, you know, we're out of control around something, we should just try to avoid it as much as possible and, you know, never be around that food. Uh, And look, you know, if that's working for you and whatever, that's fine. I mean, you know, I always tell people like, I'm not going to say like, you have to, you know, um, bring those foods into your house. But usually if people are, I would think listening to a podcast like this, or they are, you know, certainly coming to see me in my office or, um, you know, reading my book or something like that, then I say maybe that isn't working for you, keeping those things, you know, out of the house. And it's really hard because first of all, our body and mind craves the things that are restricted. So if we say, I can't have this, this food has this, you know, unreal control over me, which again is also making the, it's putting a lot of baggage onto like a food item, um, that, that this food has control over you, but also the more that we kind of tell ourselves that narrative and that we are afraid of the food and that we restrict it and say that we can't have it for most people, the more that we want it. And whether that means that you're going to, you know, be at a party where they're serving it and, you know, eat, eat more than you want to, or eat in a way that feels out of control or that you are, you know, binging on it and going out and buying that food on occasion. Um, you know, that, that strategy tends not to be so effective for people long-term. But I think that mindful eating, intuitive eating, and really the whole kind of anti-diet movement can be really overwhelming for people, especially if they're just coming in, you know, maybe through social media and, um, you know, like stepping, they're stepping a toe into this and they're, you know, just seeing these snippets that are putting, being put out on Instagram or on TikTok or Facebook or whatever. Um, and they're like, okay, I hear I shouldn't be dieting. Diets don't work. I should eat what I want. And then what? Um, and I think that can be a really overwhelming place for people because one of the things that diet culture does is it offers us structure. So diet culture kind of tells us if we do X, Y, and Z, then we're going to have everything we want in life. We'll be healthy. We'll be happy. We'll be desirable. We'll be valuable, loved, you know, everything. Um, it's all a lie, which is the problem, but we believe it. And we're really, I think in many ways indoctrinated into this, um, so much so that oftentimes we don't even question whether what we're being told is true. So, but I do think, and that structure that people want to hold on to that sense of if I could just do this, then everything will be okay. Cause that feels comforting. That feels reassuring. 
Um, and I think it can be really overwhelming with the anti-diet movement to say, okay, well, actually that doesn't work. That's a lie. And now you have nothing. You have no support. You have no structure. You have, you know, many people feel they have no hope when they have let go of that. Um, so I think that, you know, introducing like fear foods into the home or, or, um, you know, challenging yourself by like bringing in foods that feel really scary. It doesn't have to be the first step and it may not be a step, you know, at all. But I do think that, you know, one of, one of the things I thought a lot about when I was writing my book, The Diet Free Revolution was, is there a way that, you know, we can bring people into the anti-diet movement and introduce mindful eating with some, you know, flexible structure that provides that scaffolding that I think people need as they're transitioning away from diet culture. And, you know, I'll tell you with, in my book, with my group programs, in my private practice, like introducing fear foods is not the first thing that we do with people. So, um, and I think that's something that people often miss when they start doing intuitive eating or mindful eating. It's like, they try to do it all at once instead of, you know, taking it step by step and and seeking support when it's needed. Like a lot of these programs were developed by therapists and dietitians who are working with people in a much more kind of intensive setting. You know, we're working one on one with people, um, and then people kind of take those principles and just think, "Oh, I should be able to just figure this out on my own." Mm-hmm. Which I think it's important that the tools are out there for people for more people to access, but also the expectation for people that they should just, you know, this should be something easy to implement. I think it can sometimes be a little bit unrealistic. Yeah. And I think that's absolutely right on. And, um, how do people discern between like working with somebody like yourself or in a program like you offer versus like, Hey, you know what, new weight watchers, whatever they are using these buzzwords, mindful eating, intuitive eating, and or other people I see all the time, like I'm a wellness coach and I use these things, but it's really, if you look deeper, they're really promoting diet culture. They're really promoting weight loss. They're really promoting all these things. How do people listening go, well, how do I know who to seek support from? Because they're using mindful eating, they're using these words. So where do I seek support? So I would say a huge red flag to look out for is that if you see people offering mindful eating or intuitive eating for weight loss. So these programs are not intended as weight loss plans. When we focus on losing weight, we really are um, inherently going to be mistrusting our body. You know, it's kind of like all premised on this idea that like my body's been doing something that I don't like and I'm going to try to overrule it to change my body. Um, So it's like about, you know, when we are intentionally pursuing weight loss, oftentimes, almost usually, you know, I'd say usually that's about exerting control over or trying to exert control of our body. Whereas mindful eating or intuitive eating is really about coming, you know, developing a peaceful relationship with our body and coming in as, you know, partners with our body to listen to our body, to honor our body, to respect our body. So they really like aren't, you know, aren't about weight loss at all. And I think that what we've seen happen is a lot of these coaches or diet programs see that intuitive eating and mindful eating are popular and they are effective when done, you know, as they were intended in a weight inclusive environment. So they've taken, you know, these things 
that have gained a lot of traction, especially kind of in grassroots movements, and said, oh, people people want this, I'm going to offer it. And they also know that people want weight loss because we're in a fat-phobic you know, culture where we're told, again, the story that if we just lose weight, everything will be okay. So it's a great marketing plan. Like they, you know, are have a much easier sell to say, you know, we can, you don't have to diet and you'll lose weight. Like I get why that's appealing to people, but it really, I think it's, it it is harmful because it's not the intention of these programs and it's going to end up, you know, triggering or exacerbating eating disorders and disordered eating because it is ultimately a diet program. And, you know, we know how harmful diets can be. It it drives me nuts really because like a lot of these programs are targeting people like Noom, for example, targets people who are explicitly trying to heal from diet culture, who have been harmed by diet culture. And they're looking for whether it's eating disorder recovery or, um, you know, just healing from disordered eating through the anti-diet movement. And they've taken the same phrases that those very vulnerable people are searching for and said, you know, used it to direct them to their diet program, which just seems incredibly cool. Yeah. And well, get my soapbox about certain <laughs> programs. Yeah. I hear things that I cringe and then I get people in my office say like, well, on doc you know like of course if I mindfully eat or you know I'm no longer you know binge eating or whatever of course I'm gonna lose weight so just mm-hmm. teach me how to do this and I'll be fine you know if you don't want me to go to Noom or Weight Watchers like I'm coming to you like and I'm, this cannot be your goal but like I, to your point like I, it's understandable why it, people have that as a goal when it's you know pervasive out there in the world but how do how do we have that discussion about like why why that as a goal is, is so toxic. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, again, I really do try to normalize people coming in with that goal and how understandable and typical it is. And also, you know, I think that part of therapy and the work that people can do is trying to really unpack that. So, you know, what is it that they're wanting through weight loss? Um, what is it that they think they'll have if they lose weight? Is it improved health? Is it more desirability, more social capital? Um, you know, and again, some of those things are completely valid. I think when clients come in and they say, I want to lose weight because I want to be able to fly in an airplane without, you know, having to purchase two seats, or I want to be able to shop, you know, in a brick and mortar store or be able to find things in mainstream stores. Like, of course, like, you know, and I think that there's so much work that needs to be done in terms of advocacy around just changing the really embedded fat phobia and weight-based discrimination in our culture. Um, so I think it's validating those things. Um, and exploring if some of them can be accomplished, you know, where we are now in terms of, you know, oftentimes people say, oh, I want to, you know, lose weight because I um, have hip pain or I want to be more mobile. And we talk about, well, have you ever, you know, seen a physical therapist or have you, you know, tried doing any kind of movement that might help ease the joint pain or seen a doctor or whatever. Um, and oftentimes people haven't because they've just attached it completely to their weight. So I think what ends up happening is that people aren't able to fully live their lives in, in this moment because they have, you know, attached, you know, 
attached to the outcomes they want to weight loss. Um, so, you know, even putting aside for a moment, whether or not weight loss is possible, like why not start, you know, living and working towards those things that you want now, to me, that makes more sense. Um, so I think it's really like a process of unpacking, you know, what it is they want, working towards acceptance. Um, and, you know, I think acceptance is also something that's like very misunderstood by people. But we can, you know, accept ourselves and it doesn't mean that everything's going to stay the same forever. Um, so, yeah, I think it's it's muddy. It's really like hard. And again, I think that people come in with these expectations, especially if they're not working with a therapist or they're just trying to do this on their own. And they're like, oh, I still want to lose weight. What's wrong with me? I know that's diet culture. And they beat themselves up and give themselves a hard time about it when like, it's a really can be a really sticky process in therapy. You know, I spent a lot of times with people work, work, working through, you know, their desires for weight loss and why that's important and what it's like to live in our culture that is fat phobic. Right. No, and I'm glad you, you mentioned that because, you know, I think the more we talk about it, the more we bring awareness to it, it you know, just for people to understand, like, of course, it's a struggle. Um, and you're not alone in feeling the way you do. Um, I don't think it's talked about enough. To be honest with you, there's much more talk about like, all the other toxic stuff, like, you know, we've said, um, why do you think we're not talking about it as much? What do you think, you know, is going on that like, we're not discussing like what the desires really are, what people's r real needs are, you know, because weight loss, if they achieve it, it's so fleeting and it doesn't last. Um, there's that yo-yo weight cycling and things like that, that I don't think we talk about enough either. Um, but why is there not more emphasis you think on like people focusing on what they're really wanting, which is, you know, to feel better about themselves or to live a different life or feel valued? Yeah. Well, I think that often people don't even have the opportunity to dig into those deeper reasons. Um, you know, as you're saying, like, it's not talked about. And I think part of that is that we are, you know, I think that the way that diet culture operates, it kind of encourages us to stay in this concrete way of thinking about our weight and our bodies. So, you know, I think that we're, you know, and it's very, when I ask people, well, why do you want to lose weight? It's really interesting because a lot of people are like, really shocked to hear that question. They're like, well, of course I want to lose weight. Like how, you know, like they look at me like I'm an idiot. Like, you know, why, why am I confused about that? But I think that, you know, that comes from this idea that it's like assumed that of course we want to lose weight. Of course, that's a healthy, good thing. Um, you know, I think there's so much misinformation that we get through the medical kind of medical field where weight bias is very much ingrained that, you know, losing weight is like the most important thing that we could do for our health. And that if we diet, that's going to lead to improved health, even though the research really doesn't support that. Um, so, you know, I think that w people stay in the concrete and, you know, again, that idea of, well, if I can just lose weight, then X, Y, and Z, um, people hold on to that. And I think in a way we, we want to believe that because we want to believe that all those things are, are possible. And that's why there's a lot of, I think, um, grief work that goes along with moving away from dieting as well. Mm -hmm. Right. So when, when you say that and people are like, what do you mean grief work? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I think that as we, so if we recognize and start to, 
you know, examine the story that diet culture has told us that if we lose weight, we are going that a weight loss is possible and sustainable and healthy mm-hmm. and won't come to any, you know, negative impact on our mental well-being. So, you know, that's the first part of it. And that B, if we lose weight, then we will be, you know, essentially able to like have whatever we want in the world. You know, we will be able to have good health. We'll be able to, you know, if someone has, you know, pain when they, you know, chronic pain, their chronic pain will be alleviated. People will be able to be more mobile. People will be able to, you know, have like all their health problems go away. People will be more lovable. You'll be able to find a partner, you know, more easily. You'll be able to find a job more easily. Now, again, there is weight-based discrimination. So I don't want to say that these things aren't true, but, you know, again, it's that, that weight loss is possible and accept, uh, um, you know, not harmful part that is also important to remember. Um, so I think it's all very complicated, but as we move away from dieting and if we start to say, start to accept the fact that for most people, weight loss is not sustainable for a long period, you know, significant weight loss is not sustainable for a significant period of time. Um, and that dieting and intentionally pursuing weight loss can have a lot of risks to our mental and physical health. Then we also have to kind of grieve the idea that at some point, you know, if we could just have the proper motivation, willpower, discipline, we'll have all those good things in our life. You know, it kind of, there's a loss that goes along with that. Right. You I don't know if that makes sense. It does, <laughs> because this is you were talking. I'm just yeah. like hearing, you know, lots of people always say like, gosh, I'm so successful in all these other areas of my life. Why is this the one thing I keep failing at? Why can't mm-hmm. I just get this one? Why can't I work hard enough at it? Why do I keep screwing this one up? Why can't I get it? And I think it's just to everything you've been saying. It's like, it's not about willpower or trying harder or doing it right. Not it. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Right. And, and, you know, just as you were talking about, you know, the intuitive eating and mindful eating, this is something it's like, why are there rules based on like what you just are innately, you know, born to do, which is to eat, to fuel yourself and stay alive. And now all these rules are put on it and all these emotions and expectations. And it's just so sad to me, but yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot invested in us believing that our body is, you know, somehow wrong, that it's flawed, that we need to fight against ourselves. And it can be really hard to repair that and to reestablish a connection with ourselves that's nurturing and compassionate. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and that there's something wrong with if you do get in touch with your body and feel it in a way that's like honoring your hunger signals and society signals and your body doesn't look however society says has value and worth that somehow you did something wrong when you didn't. Yeah, exactly. And I think that our culture is very much still embedded in this personal responsibility narrative around weight. So, you know, most people still believe that people who are in larger bodies um, have less discipline, they're not trying enough, they're lazy, they're unmotivated. Um, and that's where we get this idea. You know, I think that's one of the reasons that weight stigma and weight um, and fat phobia kind of runs so rampant. It's that people believe that 
you know, well, if you cared, you would just change that about yourself, that we think that weight is something that should be totally under our control and that people are just, are essentially choosing to be fat because they are, you know, gluttonous and lazy and undisciplined. So yeah, uh, we see where the problems are. Right. Not all bodies are meant to look one way, right? That's like, come on. Yeah. It's hard for people to accept that. Right. I mean, it's, I always wonder, it's like, we don't do that with foot size, right? Right. Like people have all these different foot sizes. And it's like, for some reason, when it comes to weight and body size, we just, we look at it so differently. I don't know why. Yeah. And I think a really fascinating book to understand kind of some of the history of fat phobia is Sabrina Strings, Fearing the Black Body. Mm -hmm. Um, which really goes into, which, you know, I, until I read that book, I really have to say, I wasn't aware of the um, racist origins of fat phobia and the BMI. So that's an enlightening book for anyone who is interested in the history of fat phobia. No, thank you for mentioning that. Yes, that's a good read. And, and also, you, you know, you mentioned your book. So um, if anyone does want to like read your book and, and, actually know more about you how can they find you your book um and i know you also have more information about the difference between intuitive eating and mindful eating so you've you've got a lot of good information out there for people so yeah so um you can find most information you can find a link to my book and my work on drconnison.com which is my website um i also have a weight inclusive group therapy practice here in new york so if you're interested in therapy you can check us out we're at connisonpsychologicalservices.com um and then i do have a free video for people who want to understand more on the difference between mindful eating and intuitive eating because like i said there's so much misunderstanding in this area and such a common uh, question that I get and point of confusion. So I created a free short video that you can get at the antidietplan.com. And there's also, I also do have a six week online mindful eating course that I always preface it and say it's a weight inclusive, non-restrictive mindful eating course because diet culture really has done such a number on the way that people hear even the term mindful eating. But if you're interested in you know, learning about how to implement mindful eating in a way that's really about nourishing your body and building self-compassion with yourself, then you could check out my course, which is also at the antidietplan.com. Um, and you can always find me on social media at the antidietplan. Fantastic. Thank you so much. You have really just brought so much great information. I know people ask all these questions and there's so much confusion. So really appreciate it. Um, before we end, any last final um, comments or anything you want to share with the audience? No, I think I would just remind people that this is a really difficult process if they're undertaking, you know, trying to heal from diet culture and starting to implement mindful eating and intuitive eating. So just try to give yourself grace and lots of self-compassion and be kind to yourself. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. This podcast is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information in regards to the subject matter covered. It is given with the understanding that neither the host, the publisher, or the guests are rendering legal, accounting, clinical, or any other professional information. If you want a professional, you should find one.